So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1438, Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom with Cindy Zuniga Sanchez. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hispanic and Latino borrowers are the most likely to push off starting a family or, you know, having children because of their student loans. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Happy Thanksgiving week. Our conversation today turns to talking about debt and how to overcome your student loans, your credit card debt, but how to also achieve financial freedom along the way. Our guest is Cindy Zuniga Sanchez. She was last on this show in 2022, talking about how she erased over $200,000 worth of debt. She is the founder of Zero Based Budget Coaching. She has a new book out, Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom. Freedom, eight Pillars to Build Wealth, where Cindy chronicles her own debt freedom journey, including taking inventory on your numbers, choosing your best budget, saving with a purpose, investing in your future and increasing your income and so much more. Here's Cindy Zuniga Sanchez. Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, welcome back to So Money. We were just talking about how it's been pretty much one year, the one year anniversary of your first it time on has, So Money. Yes, it has been. It's crazy to believe almost to the day. <laughs> and last time you were here, you were talking about how you eliminated over $200,000 worth of debt in 48 mm-hmm. months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, much of that stemming from law school. And since then, you have been working on a book, which comes out. Yeah. It's out. It's out yeah. as we as we as we speak. It's and finally here. <laughs> finally here. So maybe just before we get to the book and all of the sure. important lessons you want to share for your readers in uh, your book, which uh, let's I want to mention the title: Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom, Eight Pillars to Build Wealth. Eight. Yeah. It's very hard to consolidate into eight, but uh, oh yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> we'll get to some of those pillars in yeah. a minute. But Cindy, just refresh us on your personal debt journey, which consisted of getting out of two hundred and fifty, sorry, two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars worth of debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's really where the story starts. It's graduating law school and finding myself in the situation of, oh my gosh, I have so much debt, you know. And I think it's it's a feeling that a lot of, uh, I, especially I would say, like grad students come into, right? Because, you know, the average undergrad debt is something around like $30,000, $35,000. But for graduate school, for either medical school, dental school, law school, uh, master's programs, PhD programs, the debt is statistically much higher. And for me, I came... I came across this, this situation of great. I'm finally excited to dive into the real world of, you know, working full time as a lawyer. Oh, but wait, I have so much debt to pay off and I don't know how to do it. 
that was the big thing, right? It was just how, like, how does one possibly even start conquering this debt? And, you know, I went where most people go, which is the internet. I went to the internet scouring for resources. I went to the bookstores. I just needed to, essentially, I needed to become a student all over again right? A student of financial literacy, which I didn't have much of, especially growing up, you know, in the low income community as the daughter of immigrants in the Bronx, I really wasn't exposed to strong man, uh, you know, money management skills. And uh, I had to teach myself all these skills and, and strategies for actually paying off my debt. And I'm happy to say that once I did, it really started becoming this kind of thirst for knowledge where you just wanted more, you know, I didn't want to just learn how to create a budget or just learn how to pay off debt. I also wanted to learn how to build my credit, how to invest, right? Like all these topics that just started coming up. And, you know, before you knew it, I mean, here I am years later, and um, I'm super grateful that I, I am in the position where I am now that I've been able to essentially take several months off completely from work to write a book and to deliver the information that I wish I had been exposed to early on. What's harder, going to law school, finishing law school, taking the bar, or getting out of debt? Listen, taking the bar is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, that is hands down. Studying for the bar exam is uh, anyone that has done it, well, I think can relate that it is hands down the most difficult thing I think that you will ever do. And this is not to discourage anyone from going to law school or from taking the bar exam. Obviously, it's all great. Um, But it's all different levels of difficulty. You know, the bar exam is extremely, you know, intellectually daunting. I mean, you're you're really having to stuff your brain with all this knowledge in a short period of time on some topics that you probably didn't even learn about in law school or you didn't learn about it in that way, right, in law school. Uh, but then paying off debt is more about a lot of it is really emotional. I've found right is, is having the stamina and that kind of really clear why for your journey to keep you motivated because Farnoosh, sometimes I wanted to spend my money on other things. Like sometimes I did not want to send all of that extra money, you know, as a, as an additional debt payment, I I wanted to just go to a store and buy things, or I wanted to just book a trip or, you know, so a lot of it is building that self-discipline. I think that's probably the theme that runs through, you know, for example, law school, taking the bar, paying off debt, even writing a book is discipline. And I think that's really, really difficult for us to, uh, it's not just establish, but stick to. Yeah. No, I mean, literally, I got a question today in my inbox from a So Money listener. Uh-huh. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm, I'm gonna save, I saved it for an ask for Anoush. But essentially, he, our, our friend, uh, I'm going to look it up here now, Ricky. Ricky wants to know how to control yourself yeah. as yeah. you are trying to budget. And he says, yeah. this is my biggest problem. Um, I want to, I mean, I want to pull out my credit card. I, I want to buy stuff. Yeah. How do we curb spending? How did you find that discipline? I mean, I, you seem like a very disciplined person. Maybe that's in your DNA. For others who are trying to find that groove and stick to itness, what's yeah. your advice? I would say three things. I would say number one is to make sure that you have a very clear and defined why. Like, why do you want to get out of debt? Why do you want to budget better? Why do you want to invest? Like, be very clear and very honest with yourself. You know, for some people, it's going to be something materialistic. 
right? Like they want a new house. They want a nice car and that's okay. Like own it. That's totally fine. Other people, it's going to be something more like altruistic or, or philanthropic, or, you know, I want to give back to my community, or I want to be able to help financially support my family, which was a big thing for me. Uh, you know, I don't have children myself, but I do have two aging parents that are, you know, at definitely well into their retirement ages. And I wanted to help make their retirement years a little bit more comfortable, especially because of everything that they sacrificed for me and my sisters. So first step I would say is have a clear and established why. The second thing would be to celebrate the milestones, like along your journey, start celebrating. So for example, you know, with Ricky, if the case is I want to uh, just be a better budgeter, I want to be better at managing my finances, then, you know, I would say, uh, of course, you're going to create your budget. You're going to create some type of a tracking system along the way, especially when you're starting to budget. I think it's super important to like track your spending, right? See where your money is going. And then maybe you challenge yourself of, you know, what if I complete a 30 day spending challenge of tracking how I'm spending my money, I'm going to treat myself to that new movie, or I'm going to treat myself to a manicure and pedicure, a nice brunch with friends, right? Like, something small to kind of reward yourself because we are humans, you know, and, and we're not robots that just kind of are like, absolutely, I'm going to stick to everything to the T and I don't need any rewards and I'm going to just go for it. Like, that's not really how it works. So I would say, you know, c- celebrating the milestones, no matter how small they may be, I think is really important. And the third thing I think is really going to be to continue to surround yourself with financial literacy, whether that is through this podcast, whether that's through uh, following social media accounts that inspire you and talk about responsible money management, uh, YouTube channels, magazines, books, right? Like continue to surround yourself with that information. I mean, I've been learning about personal finance for years now, and I still will go out and buy the book that, you know, a fellow personal finance uh, educator has released. I will still go ahead and listen to the podcast. I will still go ahead and listen to the YouTube videos. You know, very recently, there's everything going on with like FTX, right? And I'm not super well versed at all on like crypto (laughs) or crypto exchanges. Explain that to a three-year-old. Nobody. I don't know. Right. So like, what did I do? I went on YouTube and I saw like a couple of really interesting YouTube videos that were kind of breaking it down. And that was helpful. You know, like I am constantly willing to learn. And I think that's really important for us to realize that this isn't just a one and done situation. This is really a lifelong thing that we're going to do when it comes to learning about money. Everyone should follow you, Cindy, on Instagram (laughs) at Zero Based Budget. I follow you. you. And I notice sometimes in addition to all of the great um, advice and strategy that you provide your followers. You also are very real and authentic and you're like, yeah, I own a fancy bag. I like luxury. (laughs) And I love that you go there with your followers and not hide that because, well, you tell me, do you feel like there's a bit of guilt or shame around enjoying the nicer things? Absolutely. People write about this to me, people (laughs) with means and with wealth feel an unease, a, a, a sort of it's like weird. They, yeah. I don't know. They, they feel like it, this is a no, no. 
Tell us why this is something that we should give ourselves permission to embrace. Yeah. You know, I think that when I started really learning about personal finance and started following people in the personal finance community, uh, you know, I saw a lot of people really preaching frugality, cutting back, uh, really deprivation in not so many words, right? Like, you know, and and also shame. Like I remember seeing so many posts uh, really shaming others for wanting, you know, a nicer car or a nice bag or, you know, like the the Gucci belt that like everyone was rocking, right? Like two or three years ago, like people really putting uh, certain people down for wanting those things. And what I try to tell my community is that if you plan for it, go for it, right? Like if you make a plan in your budget of, you know what, I'm going to set aside money every single month to take that luxury trip to Paris, to buy myself the luxury bag while I'm in Paris. But it's aligned with you. It's aligned with your values and it's aligned with your plan, right? Like if we have over a hundred thousand dollars of debt, maybe we're not buying three or four designer bags in one year, right? Maybe we're saving up for our first and that's okay. Like we're balancing things. And I think the reason why I do try to be very transparent about this is because I have coached people. I've coached at this point, hundreds of people on their finances. And what I find a lot of times is that they're very hesitant to ask me or, or to tell me about, you know, that car that they want to save up for. And when I invite that conversation, they feel sort of relieved. You know, they're going to buy it regardless. So might as well teach people how to do so responsibly. That's what I say, you know, and that's why I try to be transparent. And I also try to make it clear that what you value may not be what I value. You know, for example, for mm-hmm. me, I, I don't own a car. So I'm not at all interested in buying, you know, a really fancy car, or I also don't know anything about cars to be fair. Right. But someone else that might be something that they really value. You know, they want a really nice car, a new model. Uh, I don't know, with like leather interior. Now, again, I, I know squat about cars. Right. And, and that's okay. (laughs) That's great for them. For me, you know, I really love travel and I do like the occasional luxury bag that might not be right for, you know, another person, they might be like a luxury bag. That's ridiculous. Like I would never spend, you know, one or 2000 or, or however much on a designer bag. And that's fine, right? That's fine. So long as again, as you make it part of your overall money plan, right. I think it's okay to spend unapologetically on what you value and what's aligned with your money goals. Here, here. Yeah. I, I just address lifestyle creep on the podcast, you know, this guilt again, people saying, well, I'm making more and I'm spending more. Am I yeah. doing it wrong? And I'm like, yeah. listen, you're telling me that you're still investing in your 401k. You've paid right. off all your credit card debt. You've paid down your house, which you, I don't think you have to do that before you buy yourself something nice. But, you know, <laughs> yet there's still this ambivalence around like living it up. Uh, because maybe we have grown up in this culture of frugality. And even I myself am the victim of shame. I, I remember not too long ago, I talked about on this podcast how I lease a luxury car. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the words escaped my mouth, Cindy, I was like, I'm going to get some mail. <laughs> and I got a really, I got a, I got a little bit of a nasty review mm. where the listener was like, I feel like Barnoosh is getting a little shallow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
I'm a loyal listener, but I think, for, you know, and it's like, God forbid, Farnoosh, you, you do you something want, like a little luxurious for yourself. A little luxury as I drive myself around, right. uh, whatever, you know, it's going to yeah. happen and, and I'm fine with yeah. that. It's just interesting. Yeah. And it, it, it becomes content for the podcast. So thank you yeah. to that person yeah. who, who wrote that because you made me think, <laughs> brought, brought some content to the there show. There you go. There you go. Let's get to your book. So as I yeah. mentioned, the so the title again is Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom, Eight Pillars mm-hmm. to Build Wealth. Eight. Yes. Yes. What's your okay? So the the next question you know you might expect is like, what's the first pillar? But I want to ask you, what was the hardest pillar to write about? Oh, I think the hardest was honestly probably the debt chapter. I think it was. And it's funny because it's it's what I teach. I teach it very often, right? On like how to crush your debt, how to conquer your debt. But for me, it wasn't just about these are the steps to crush your debt, no matter what debt you have, right? But it was also acknowledging like the emotion behind it, you know, and also the 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 systemic issues also when it comes to debt, especially when it comes to student loans. And I thought that, um, you know, one of the statistics, statistics that I came across that was really shocking and disturbing is uh, when it came to certain demographics is how student loans affects certain demographics. And uh, as an example, you know, Hispanic and Latino borrowers are the most likely to push off starting a family or, you know, having children because of their student loans. Like that is the way that student mm-hmm. loans and debt has on my particular demographic as, as, as a Latina. And I thought that it was just, it was so packed. I mean, the debt chapter is, I actually think it is my longest chapter in the book. Uh, so it wasn't just the here's how to get out of debt. You know, we're going to follow these steps and these are the uh, free calculators that you can use. These are free resources. These are the templates I'm providing for you. It was so much more than that. Like, of course the chapter has that, but it was also like, let us acknowledge the weight that debt has on millions of Americans. Like, let's confront it head on. Let's also confront the, you know, the, the systemic issues that we have in our country when it comes to, you know, how certain demographics are impacted by debt versus others. And I think that, like, unpacking that, I also have, you know, what my proposed thoughts are on a potential future policy when it comes to student loans. And I think that's really, it's very important because I think that right now it's not working. Like the system as is, is not working. My generation has, is drowning in student loans. And I think that like, we need to confront the fact that a lot of people in my age group are not buying homes because of student loans. They're not starting families because of student loans. They're not able to have their own apartment because of student loans. So we need to talk about it. And I think that chapter was probably my most challenging because, uh, because I understood it. You know, I felt it. I felt that weight. I knew what that, uh, that burden felt like and trying to make sure that I communicate it while also providing hope yeah, is really yeah. important. Yeah, because it's hard to write a chapter where you're giving advice about something where there isn't a level playing field. It's yeah. it's not like, oh, do these five things no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like. 
and it'll work for you. Right. (laughs) And so it can feel disingenuous to write that without giving all this context, which then I think can run you into some some brick walls because it's like, yeah. well, here's the problem. And then you don't really have a solution for the, for why, you know, how do we fix I mean, we it? Know the solution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dismantle the system, but you also yeah. want to give hope as you talk exactly. about. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, since you brought it up, what, what do you think uh, you would like to see the, it, this administration, yeah. the next administration implement? We obviously um, know about Biden's plan, which is, yeah. has been uh, hitting up against some blocks. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what do you, what, what would additionally you'd like to see that we yeah. can, then, so that the next generation is not where the current generation is at. And that's what we need, right? We don't just need this like temporary solution. We need long-term solutions. I think that, you know, the first thing is, I mean, hands down the rising cost of higher education. Yeah, It's out of control for Anush. I mean, to attend my law school, uh, I think it was, uh, so what now, 10, over, a little over 10 years ago, the total cost of attendance was something like $75,000, okay? Now, the same, the same deal, right? Tuition, room and board, like the same situation of, of for cost of attendance is something creeping up to $100,000 a year, a year. Okay, I mean, to say that it is outpacing inflation is is an understatement. So really controlling the the rising cost of higher education, you know, we are going to need some type of government regulation when it comes to, I understand, yes, a lot of these are private institutions that we're talking about, but it's gotten to the point where it is becoming completely unreasonable for someone of, I'm not even just saying low income, but like even middle income to go to school because it's so unbelievably expensive. And the rising cost of higher education is, is, is something that is, uh, I think so egregious that that needs to be addressed for sure. I would say that's probably one of the first things we need to do. Um, another big thing is interest rates. I mean, when I graduated law school, the average interest rate on my law school loans was something like 8%. 8% interest on $150,000 of loans, that's a lot of money. I mean, we're talking, it's tens of thousands in my book. I actually share that it was about $80,000 in interest that I was going to have to pay alone, just interest. So we need to have, again, some reg- some stricter regulation. And, and I think that I hope that the administration is seeing the impact of, for example, setting interest rates to 0% for the past you know, almost three years now with the pandemic. Uh, and I'm not saying, oh, yes, they need to set it at 0%, but maybe start evaluating, you know, what rates we are imposing, which I understand Congress does for federal loans, uh, on these student loans where something like, you know, six, seven, eight percent on a student loan is extremely high, right? Uh, so, so that's another thing. And then I think the third thing is really going to be to promote financial literacy at a very early age. Like we need to, we need to not make financial literacy like one class in college that you take. I mean, I didn't even take that in college, right? But like, or, or one seminar that you do with FAFSA, right? Like the financial aid office or anything like that. No, we need. From when kids are young, we need to start teaching strong money management skills. In high school, we need to start teaching about the implications of taking out certain amounts of debt and what kind of payment will that debt look like when you do graduate from college. Like We need to start having these really candid conversations 
at the like at the school level, at the elementary level, the high school level, so that kids can start becoming not just more informed, but also empowered when it comes to their money making decisions. I mean, you know, an 18 year old is signing on to potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loans, and we're not educating them on that before they do that. I think it's really irresponsible as a society. And I am really happy that there are more increased efforts on that front to establish financial literacy, uh, you know, at, at the high school level across the country, but we need more. We need more of that, like just as vital as learning about math and science and English and language arts and all of that is to our youth, so is financial literacy. Yeah, when I think about what I learned in college and what actually I'm using from those right. classes in my real life, very, very little. And I would just <laughs> add to that, I would add to that great list of things you mentioned yeah. that we also need to change the narrative around college and what it represents yeah. and what yeah. it, you know, it's not just the 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 highway, what is it, college or no way, right? You, you don't uh, yeah. have to have a college degree to have a successful life. Yeah. Yes, the data shows that if you have a degree over your lifetime, you will have higher earnings and, and potentially more net worth. But this idea of maybe taking a gap year or going to community college first before you transfer to a bigger, yeah. more expensive school or going to a trade school or taking a nine-week you know, coding boot camp yeah. and then getting a job at Google, which is happening, you know, introducing young kids to these other alternative ways to Options. affording themselves a, a higher education, I think is Absolutely. so important because otherwise we are, we are ripping them off. Yep, absolutely. And I think also, um, you know, I write about in the book is that for my parents, the American dream involved higher education, no debate about it. <clears throat> like we were all to go to college, absolutely no debate. That would be how we, you know, break out of poverty. College held the key. And, and there is no doubt that college, I mean, statistically, yes, it plays a huge role in economic mobility. But, but, I think educating our youth on options is also really empowering because what do we rather, you know, especially kids of immigrants, which I feel like for, for me, I, I definitely felt that pressure, right. Of like going to college. I think a lot of times for children of immigrants, especially it's like, we feel like if we don't go to college, we're a failure. But what I found is that some of my friends that went to college, they did not graduate college because it wasn't right for them. And what that led to was, you know, leaving school with a bunch of debt and no degree. So would we rather that happen or empower the youth with making their own decisions based on different options that they have available to them so that they won't be in those situations that, for example, a lot of, you know, my own loved ones uh, have been in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I also find it really interesting that, you know, we often talk about college as this four-year experience, but most, more than 50% of, of students graduate in about six years. Yeah. Like six yeah. years is the norm because they take breaks and they have to come back or right. they enrolled in one major and then they switched majors exactly. or there weren't yep. enough classes because the school didn't have enough staffing. This has ha this happens a lot in California or had mm -hmm. happened a lot in California at their state schools where kids just could not get into the required mm. classes. And so they got delayed to graduate. I feel like that's a crime. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that. You can't no. promise kids four years and then make it six. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, well, that also goes into this whole rising cost of higher education where, I mean, let's just be very honest. It's in the best interest of these universities to keep 
you in their institution for longer periods of time. Like, come on. Like, if that means more money, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, lure someone that's already in it to stay a little longer than it is to acquire a new student. Right. So why not? And I think that's, again, I think that's part of the whole, like needing to look into the practices that a lot of these academic institutions have in place right now for their students and actually saying like, are you operating in their best interests? You know, Cindy, what a great conversation. Mm -hmm. I knew it would be. Uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for months now since Same I learned here. about your book, and I was happy and proud to give a uh, an endorsement for your Thank book. Thank you. you yes, it's called Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom, Eight Pillars to Build Wealth. I want yes. everyone to check it out. Tell us where we can get the book, uh, where you recommend we get the book. Yeah. So you can uh, go to my website, zero-basebudget.com slash book. You can get it on Amazon, uh, barnesandnoble.com, target.com, bookshop, which uh, supports independent bookstores. We love that. So uh, definitely check it out there. You can follow me also on Instagram at zero based budget. And it's also um, officially as of today available in ebook format too. So if you're not like a hardcover lover, totally fine. You can get it uh, in ebook format. And you know, it also makes a really special holiday gift, right? For the person that like kind of has everything or you don't really know what to get, like give them the gift of financial literacy. You know, I think it's, it's something that I've, I've poured my heart into for over a year now. And it's something that I am truly proud of because it approaches personal finance in a very, you know, no nonsense, relatable, but also like judgment free type of way, right? Of like, let's work on this together versus I'm just lecturing you on what you need to know about money. Like, no, let's go through this journey together. I mean, readers will learn in the book that I'm still very much on the journey, right? Like I'm still learning a lot of things and and it's exciting. And it is this kind of resource tool where if even once you're done reading it, I hope that you will continue to reference it as Mm -hmm. you go through the different stages of your journey of, wait, what was that about credit again? And what was it about, uh, you know, authorized users on credit cards or refinancing loans or, you know, negotiating your pay at work or even starting your own business, right? Like what are the things that Cindy recommends having in a business plan? Like all these tools that I think are so important to not just get us through our journeys today, but empower us in the future as well. Wonderful. We will certainly be supporting that. Thank you. Come back anytime, Cindy. Thank you. Invite me anytime. I'm here. (laughs) You got it. Thanks so much to Cindy for joining us. As I mentioned, I totally endorse this book, Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom, Simplifies Complex Money Topics, and Demonstrates That It Is Possible to Afford a Life Driven by Your Values. Cindy's book is available now. Great gift for the holidays and to start your new year. I'll see you back here on Wednesday, and I hope your day is so money. Money.